Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore, and I'm here in the studio for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. I'm sitting with James Kazina, but before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give you a bit of a quick update about this podcast. You'll have noticed that we have been releasing content on a fortnightly schedule, but we're going to change that. We're going to start moving to a monthly schedule. And the reason being, we've always desired that this podcast would be almost like an all-in-one devotional. It would have great scriptural content, powerful stories, powerful themes. And you know what? To provide that, we thought a monthly schedule would be better. From this episode on, we'll be releasing content each month that we hope you can use in your churches, in your small groups. Feel free to use the stories, all the show notes, but we want to make sure that we're providing you with the best content. As well as that, we'd love you to rate, review, share the podcast. Thank you so much for all of your support. And we hope you love this edition of the Open Doors Live podcast. Yeah, that's right, Mike. And today we are jumping into a topic which we're calling the paradox of persecution. We're going to look at some um, some scriptures in the book of Job. In chapter one, we get this image of Job. It says that he was blameless, upright. He feared God and he turned away from evil. You know, he has it all, a big family, property. In fact, it says that he was the greatest of all the people in the East. Then we see this transition to a, a heavenly scene. Verse 6 says there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Satan also came among them. God asked Satan, where have you been? And he replies, he's been roaming to and fro across the earth. Then God says in verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. He's a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan challenges God and he says the only reason Job loves God is because God has blessed him with all of this stuff. And that if God took all of those things away, Job would simply curse God to his face. So we have this image where God allows Satan to take away everything Job has. You know, I love the way that Job chooses to respond. When he receives the news that he has lost everything in verse 20, it says that Job fell on the ground and worshipped. He even says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And despite his suffering, Job continues to worship and bless the Lord. There's this paradox I see when I look at the persecuted church. This contradiction that doesn't seem to make sense. Let's take a moment to push into that word paradox. It means a seemingly absurd or a self-contradictory statement that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And we took the time to look for some of these contradictory statements in the Bible and we've found a few. An example here in Matthew 5 verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talk about that verse often. We see this notion of blessing on one side and they're blessed because they are persecuted. Again, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 says, That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Another example of a biblical paradox. Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But how does that make sense? How can you be weak and strong at the same time? How can you be blessed and persecuted? How can you be blessed when people hate you? You know, it reminds me of a story of a young woman called Marta. Marta was from Ethiopia. 
Ethiopia is ranked number 29 on our world watch list, which is something we release each year revealing the top 50 hardest countries in the world to follow Jesus. Ethiopia is an incredibly difficult place to follow Jesus, especially if you've left Islam to follow him. Marta grew up in a family that practices folk Islam, a mixture of Islam and traditional religion. In these kind of areas, the local witch doctor often asks for payment for spiritual protection over people's homes. When Marta was still very young, the witch doctor in their village asked for her as a payment. Her parents agreed. Marta, too young to be a bride, became the witch doctor's servant and wife. Harani was a Christian and visited Marta regularly and discreetly to share the gospel with her. One day, Marta decided to commit her life to Jesus. Marta had to keep her faith a secret because she knew her family would be very angry if they found out. She attended church services in secret, telling everyone else that she was running errands. When she reached her mid-teens, Marta was able to escape and move in with her auntie. She also decided it was time to tell her family about her faith. She would often call and talk with them about Jesus or visit them to share about her faith. One day her older brother got very ill. He couldn't get out of bed and they thought he was going to die. No matter which religious leader, Muslim or witch doctor, came to pray for him, he didn't get better. When an evangelist encouraged them to pray for him in the name of Jesus, they told the evangelist they wanted nothing to do with that. Her brother's condition continued to get worse and doctors told them to prepare for his death. When another Christian advised him to pray for healing in Jesus' name, Marta's mum, in desperation, pleaded with him to do so for them. She didn't know how to do it. Her son was healed immediately. For the first time in months, he was able to walk again. Marta's mum and some of her siblings immediately gave their life to Christ. Marta's father and younger brother, Ali, were furious. Marta's father divorced her mother, leaving her to care for their eight children. Ali, her brother, was so angry, he decided to make it his mission to bring them back to the faith they had grown up with. When Ali moved in, Marta became violently ill. To prove Christianity a big lie, Ali took her from mosque to mosque to be prayed for. But Marta's condition only deteriorated. Ali realised it was bad, and even though he didn't believe the claims that his other brother was healed in the name of Jesus, he decided to take Marta to the church and give it a try. As soon as they prayed for her, she got well. Ali witnessed it with his own eyes. Then and there, he gave his life to Jesus. So radical had been the change in his life, he eventually decided to change his name to Simon. Since then, the rest of their siblings have also received Christ. Now that the entire village has learned that they became Christians, no one associates with them anymore. It is impossible to get work, so Martha and Simon send money home from whatever they earn from their odd jobs. Life has been hard, the persecution has continued, and finances are always tight, but they have got to know God as a faithful provider. Marta is very happy and content in Jesus, but she is still unable to talk about her life with the witch doctor without breaking down into sobs. We ran a youth event where Marta and her brother Simon were able to meet with other persecuted young people and be discipled. One of our field workers who met with her said Marta is the personification of one of the greatest mysteries or wonders of the Christian life. The fact that joy and sorrow often cohabitate in our lives. In the Lord's dispensation, there is space for both at the same time, and he cares about both. That is the paradox of persecution. Well, we see that so often when we look at the persecuted church. On one side, extreme suffering, 
yet simultaneously this unmistakable joy and adoration for the Lord, despite what they're enduring for his name's sake. Egypt is another part of the world where I see this paradox a lot. Open Doors has been doing a lot of work there recently, as the past few years have been some of the most violent for the Egyptian church. Gunmen killed at least nine people outside a Coptic church near Cairo. We begin on a devastating note to Egypt where gunmen attacked a bus carrying Coptic Christians. Uh, lost count, 22 people killed, or 23 people now, wounding uh, uh, 25 others. The situation there is way worse than in Iraq and Syria. We're scared that someone might be walking behind us and shoot us. The shooting is the latest in a string of attacks on Egypt's Christian minority. The ISIS has been targeting Coptic Christians uh, several times in recent months. The Coptic Church has issued a brief statement condemning the violence and attackers. Gerald Tan, Al Jazeera. The Islamic State has named Egypt as their next target. In one attack, witnesses actually saw an extremist crossing names off an ISIS hit list. Things are especially bad around Easter. Last year, on Ascension Day, Nadia and her family were visiting the local monastery. She was with her son, Hani, her daughter and daughter's husband, and also Nadia's three-year-old grandson. She saw some military men outside the monastery. She thought they were there as security, but unfortunately, Nadia was wrong. The men shot the wheels of their bus and climbed on. My son-in-law, Sama, was sitting in front of the bus, Nadia recalled. They turned towards him first. They ordered him to convert to Islam. But my son-in-law showed the cross tattoo on his wrist and said, No, I will not. I am a Christian. Then he was shot. The terrorist asked each man on the bus to convert to Islam or die. They stopped next to her son, Hani. Nadia watched from the back of the bus. She saw Hani raise his wrist and heard his last words. No, I am a Christian. Maybe you think I would rather have seen my son make a different choice, Nadia said. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son. But I'm happy that I witnessed the faith I raised in him. I am thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ even with his life in danger. He made the right choice, she said, and that has been a huge comfort to me. One of the things I'm not sure if listeners understand, James, is that when we read these stories, they're often the first time we've ever heard them. And I sit here and I can see you emotional at the moment because that story, I mean, it's the first time either of us have heard that story. And so I hope the listeners get the impression that, you know, when we, when we make these episodes of the podcast... So much of it is fresh for us as well because we want to experience the emotion of it. You know, I'm sitting here with the father of two young girls and to think to be sitting on a bus and to look out the back window and to hear the last words of your child. You know, it, is, it leaves me speechless. I'm looking at the script here and what I'm to say next and, you know, it's, it's, I can't help but add something because you can't hear those stories and not moved. And I think that's exactly right. There's many listeners that have got their own children. Um, there's obviously children in all of our lives. And that's something we always wrestle with. Um, 
I think about that on a day-to-day basis. You know, we see that again. It's another paradox of Christianity. Do I put the call of God before my affections for my family? And we see it here in black and white in front of us, that these people are proud of the fact that their children will risk their own lives for their faith. It's amazing. And as far as a team here at Open Doors go and around the world, we wrestle with this kind of stuff daily, the paradox of persecution. But when we search through the scriptures, we see the same paradox reflected in Jesus's teachings, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount. For example, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In verse 10, he goes on to say, Well, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And even when Christ endured the cross, he carried this paradox. In Hebrews 12, verses 2 to 3, a reading from the ESV, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The paradox of persecution. We saw in that last story that Nadia's son having a cross tattoo on his wrist. Uh, In Egypt, many believers get that cross on their wrist as a public declaration of their faith. Another story is similar. Bassam was a young guy on his way home from work on the 13th of January with his brother Osama and his neighbor Muhammad. Armed men stopped them and checked their wrists. When they saw Bassam's cross tattoo, they asked if he was a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian, he answered. The men asked Muhammad to show them his wrist as well. He had no tattoo and was allowed to leave. Osama's cross was also hidden beneath his sleeve. They fired shots at Osama's feet and told him to leave. And then they shot Bassam in the head, Osama said. I could not believe what happened to my brother. He fell on the ground in front of me and I was unable to do anything. Osama ran to find help. His legs gave way because of the shock. Their mother fainted when she heard the news. When Bassam's close friend discovered what happened, he called Bassam's phone. The terrorist answered me and promised to kill more Christians, he said. We lost a person dear to our hearts, Osama said. My brother Bassam was a very good and kind man. He had a strong relationship with God. He was always reading in the Bible, praying and going to the church. He was loved by all people. And just as we hear this story, how many of us would identify that that's the way we want to be spoken about when we're gone? Bassam was a very good man, his friend said. He didn't renounce the faith and didn't deny his Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't fear death. Actually, he didn't die, but has won the real life in heaven, enjoying being with Jesus. We pray that God will comfort us and thank God for saving the life of a summer to care for his five children and his parents. One of the great misnomers, I believe, of the persecuted church is the idea that is only ever sad, downtrodden, defeated. But you know, The persecuted church is one of the most hope-filled things on the planet. I reckon there's probably some listeners out there saying, well, what do you do as a ministry? Because you're not doing a very good job at stopping persecution. But you know, what I always love to tell people is that our job, our goal is not to stop persecution. Our job isn't even to stop it growing because you see, persecution is biblical. 
What I am passionate about is giving people the strength to stand in the face of it and shine as brightly as they can because the reality is that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. Even just recently, I was sitting with a media reporter who said to me, well, Mike, what does the future look like for the Australian church? It's terrifying, isn't it? And I said to them, well, you know what? I think the future is insignificance. And for me, that is far more terrifying than persecution. Because if we keep doing the things we do, then the future that will befall us is insignificance. Because the reality is wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. It's almost like an earmark of, I dare to say, it's successful Christianity, sharing Jesus. Because the price that you pay is worth it. And more than that, the price that you pay, the price that you incur, the persecution you incur is guaranteed. You see, that's what we do as a ministry. We support and strengthen the church where they're bold enough to share the gospel. We are focused on advancing the name of Jesus all over the world. And it's why I think challenging our supporters to continue to support this ministry is one of the most important things. And more than that, tell your friends, because anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus should be doing something for the survival of the church. And in the process of supporting the church, we ourselves can grow in our courage and be bold for Christ. I think I see that we've got this role, this responsibility, and it's a really holy responsibility, to be honest, Mike, because it's not just, you know, I say this all the time, it's not just a charity, it's not just a handout. We've kind of got this uh, bi-directional lifeline, you know, where we're bringing the body of Christ back together. So as I talk about these ways that you can respond, all of our listeners, how can you respond in a practical way? But there's also something in it for you. There's this kind of lifeline where we're breathing hope and life in many ways back into the Australian and the New Zealand church. What are some of those practical ways you can respond? First of all, pray with the persecuted church, not for them. I love this. Uh, Listen to this incredible testimony from a local pastor in Egypt. If you pray for us, you'll pray the wrong things, he said. You'll pray that the church will be safe. You'll pray for persecution to cease. We're not praying for these things. We ask God for the salvation of Egypt. Listen to the boldness and the courage these people have for their nation. He goes on to say, we ask that he draw millions of Muslims to Christ. We ask that we will be bold and clear in sharing our faith with Muslims. And we pray that when the inevitable persecution comes, that we will not run away and that we will be faithful in that persecution, even if it costs us our lives. Will you tell your friends to pray these prayers with us? Here we are. Uh, answering, you know, hearing his call, asking us to take that message to the wider church. And we're, we're pleading with you now, will you pray these prayers with us as we partner with the Egyptian church? You can subscribe online to get our Frontline Faith magazine and our prayer guide, which gives you really tangible, practical ways to partner with us in prayer. And the second way you can respond is to subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church. We're asking people to commit to the equivalent of one of the subscriptions in their lives. You might attend the gym regularly. I know many of us have got mobile phone plans. We've got Netflix and Spotify. We're just asking you to choose one of those regular monthly commitments and match that to support the survival of the persecuted church. We want you to become a frontline partner. By giving monthly, you can help provide trauma counseling for girls like Marta and preach the gospel. You can also help support families who have lost loved ones like Nadia's and Bassam's and preach the gospel. 
you can also choose which region your funds go to, whether that be Africa, Asia, the Middle East, or the most critical areas of need around the world. We work through the local church in 70 of the hardest countries on earth to follow Jesus, and your help ensures that the local church remains to preach the gospel there. But we also know this is going to change your faith and fill you with hope. You can sign up today by visiting the Open Doors website. The Paradox of Persecution My hope is today's episode has encouraged you, inspired you, and more than that, shown you that the persecuted church is one of the most hope-filled things on the planet. We're challenging you today to maybe look at how you can support it. Match a subscription in your life. Pray with us. Support them. Because the reality is, wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. But let me end today with one final scripture. Mark 10 verses 29 to 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Thanks so much for listening. Please, as I said before, jump online, rate, review this podcast, share it with your friends. We're going to catch you next month for the Open Doors Live podcast. listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.